Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2, the first 10 verses. Titus 2, 1 through 10. As we look at this portion of the letter, this pastoral epistle. And pay careful attention to the reading of God's holy word. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opportunity may be put so that an opportunity may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters, in everything they are to be well pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Amen. After Titus has been instructed to um, guard against false teachers, and previous to that was told about the qualifications for those who would be elders, uh, he, Paul moves into this chapter in just talking about the pattern for godliness. And he begins with... Uh, mentioning sound teaching. And one of the things that we perhaps fail to appreciate is solid biblical doctrine leads to godliness. Our ethics is built upon God's truth, uh, his faithful doctrinal truth. It's not either ethics or doctrine. It's both of them together. And a person uh, cannot, at least a Christian, cannot live uh, a godly life without <clears throat> being built on the foundation of sound doctrine. And so in verse 1 and in verse 10, Paul kind of bookends the instruction. He's going to, as you saw as we read through it, he's going to be, he's telling, <clears throat> Paul is telling Titus, the different groups of people that he's supposed to address and instruct on how they can live a godly life. And in verse 1 and in verse 10, you have kind of the bookends of that instruction. So in verse 1, he says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And the word for sound uh, uh, doctrine is the word for wholesome, for that which brings healing and health. Uh, it's, a, it's a prominent message of Paul, particularly in these pastoral epistles. If you look back at Titus 1, verse 9, Titus 1, verse 9, one of the qualifications for an elder, 
a preacher, a pastor, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So the teaching of careful biblical doctrine is the pathway to a spiritual wholesomeness, spiritual health, spiritual strength. So it's a, a healing doctrine, it's a healthy doctrine, it's a maturing doctrine, and there's no uh, godliness without it. So Paul is wanting Titus to get, lay down for the people that which will be for their benefit, uh, that which will be wholesome and helpful for them in living a godly life. Along the way, he's going to talk, give some reasons why he wants them to live a godly life, to put to shame those who would criticize the Christian faith. But if, if you look at verse 10, very last part of verse 10, it's in the context of the instruction to the slaves, but it, in a sense, also um, encapsulates the, the point of all this teaching. He, the conclusion of verse 10 is, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. One of the goals God has for you and for me in uh, living a godly life is that we make <clears throat> the doctrine of God our Savior attractive. Uh, it's a, a, a word for an adornment, a decoration, a, to make it appealing. Does that mean everyone's going to embrace the gospel? Not in, no, no, indeed. Um, we have no control over that. But what Paul wants us to do, what God wants us to do, is he wants us to live in such a way, and we'll look at First Peter in a minute, he wants us to live in such a way that people will see the character of our lives, have nothing to say that they can criticize, or at least be put to shame for their criticism, and that it would make the, uh, the gospel attractive. It would, and God might use that to draw them to, to him. I, I mentioned in a sermon, I don't remember how long ago now, a friend in Montgomery, Alabama, when I was an intern there, <clears throat> there were two brothers in the church. And the older brother, the younger brother, was uh, one we were closer to, Diane and I were closer to, and his wife and family, uh, very kind a uh, generous, gentle person. And his older brother, and you know brothers can give each other kind of a hard time, and he sort of ran his younger brother down some, but uh, the, test, the younger brother was such a, a witness in his life of kindness and uh, gentleness and stability and faithfulness that it ultimately brought the older brother to the Lord. Because his life made the doctrine of God our Savior attractive. And again, we can't control the reaction of other people, but we can, by God's grace, live out that way so that people see our good deeds and glorify our Father <clears throat> who is in heaven. Then beginning at verse two, he goes through several different 
categories of people that uh, Titus is supposed to instruct. It's, uh, it's really very helpful and encouraging, I think, uh, that we see all these different categories of people. It shows that the church is just made up of all kinds of people. Uh, we ought to have a little children. We ought to have old adults. And we do have some old adults here. We need to have all the ages in between. There's, there's, there's instruction for every age group. And that's helpful for us to see how we all together in our various arenas of life or stages of life, we can are part of the same body. So he begins with older men. These are not elders. They're just men who are older. Older men are to be, he gives three outward qualities, sober-minded, dignified, self-control, and then three, in a sense, inward qualities. The the three outward qualities is uh, sober-minded or temperate. That is, uh, this, this issue of self-control comes up several places. It, it's repeated here as well. He has a balanced Christian life. Uh, he's not out of kilter. He's not extreme in one direction or another. But he is reflective. Uh, he's calm and he's deliberate in his life. And uh, he's dignified or worthy of respect. He conducts his life in such a way that people uh, would, would appreciate his dignity. <clears throat> he uh, doesn't have to be a kid. He may be young in heart, but he knows he's not young. And so he lives a life that is respectful and appreciated and he's self-controlled. He's not agitated. He's not excitable. He's not out of control. These same qualities are the qualities that are required of elders, deacons, and deacons' wives, as we saw in First Timothy. But there are three <clears throat> qualities, outward qualities of the way he conducts his life and is a, an example of mature Christian character. Those three outward qualities are, uh, have the companion of these inward qualities. He's sound in faith. And that word sound goes with each of the other nouns there. He's sound in faith. He's sound in love. And he's sound in endurance or faithfulness. Faith, as we've seen in these pastoral epistles, sometimes is referring to the body of doctrine that we believe. Here in this case, it's not the body of doctrine, though he needs to be faithful to that too, but it's really his own personal faith. The exercise of his belief in the Lord, his trust in the Lord, and he's able to acknowledge that and confess that before the younger people, before the others in the church. When things are going hard in your life and you can go to someone who's older in the faith, older in ages, older in the faith, and they can talk to you about what they have learned and how they have trusted the Lord and how the Lord has proved himself faithful to them. That gives you great help and encouragement to continue your walk with the Lord. Uh, He's sound in love. The relationships among uh, the people of God are important to him. It's a flowering of the faith. 
His faith in the Lord causes him to cultivate an affection and a, and a, a relationship with the others in the church. And then he's sound in endurance or faithfulness. He has learned, especially as an older man, that you have to keep going. Uh, Not when it's easy. You just have to keep going. And that kind of faithfulness is so important for the church. You need to see that. Um, I remember beginning to read a book by a man on pastoring and then being enduring and pastoring. And I, I got, I don't know, 10, 20 pages into it and I found out the guy hadn't been in the ministry more than like five years. And so that book just kind of went to the side. You know, I need someone's help that has been around a little bit. It doesn't mean that what he had to say was terrible. I'm not, it might have been fine, but... You need to hear from someone who's been there, who's experienced a lot, and can speak to the faithfulness of the Lord. And so these older men are to be that kind of a person. The second category of people in verse 3 is older women. Older women, likewise, as the same as the older men, they are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. So these positive qualities, the positive quality that they're to cultivate are similar to the older men. They're to be reverent in their behavior. They're to be dignified as well. In other words, they're not out of control. They're not frantic. They're not um, causing all kinds of trouble. They conduct themselves in a reverent way. Either that they are reverent in the way they conduct themselves or they conduct themselves in such a way that people respect them. Um, Not revere them over the Lord, but they respect them and honor them uh, for the conduct of their lives. And they are, the last phrase is also one of their positive qualities they're supposed to do to teach what is good. And that, that will be given in detail later later on. Uh, So they're to be reverent, they're to teach what is good, reverent in their behavior. But then there are two dangers that they're to avoid. They're not to be slanderers or slaves to much wine. Now you might remember uh, from 1 Timothy, and why don't you turn to 1 Timothy for a moment. 1 Timothy 5, verse 11. Paul in this context is talking about who should be enrolled on the list of widows to be cared for by the church. And he gives this instruction in 1 Timothy 5, 11. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, and here's the point, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, And not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So the temptation uh, here in this case, in in, in 1 Timothy 5, and in this case, the older women who don't have an occupation, uh, 
if they were married, perhaps their children are grown. Maybe their husband has passed away and they're in their home alone. Uh, they don't have a lot to occupy their mind. And one of the temptations and one of the dangers is to be a busybody with their speech. And so Tim, Titus is being warned. You need to instruct them not to be that way. In other words, they need to get busy with something. Uh, like you see in, in the book of Acts, uh, Dorcas, who uh, made clothes for those in need. And she was honored. <clears throat> you have the, the, these women, even if, <clears throat> even if they're not married or if they're, again, they're alone in their home, they give themselves to service. And they stay busy in the way to keep from being a slanderer and, and a gossip is to stay busy. Praying, <clears throat> excuse me, praying, um, serving other people, uh, and the other temptation, uh, giving, being given to much wine. You know, when you're sitting around the house all day and you don't have anything to do, a glass of wine sure sounds good. And one makes the second one sound real good. <clears throat> Before that, you're into three and you're given to much wine. And it's, it's partly because uh, you're idle. Uh, or at least the danger of idleness is that. And so there's these dangers to be avoided by these older women. And so the positive instruction for them uh, what can they do to keep themselves from being lured into those temptations? Well, they need to teach what is sound. Now, he's not contradicting his, his idea that in the context of the church, preaching is by men and the watching over teaching is by men. But the older women have a role in teaching and instruction and in teaching what is sound. And specifically, they teach the younger women. This is what we see in verses four and five. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive, uh, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. The older women have a wonderful role in the lives of the younger women. Uh, they can instruct them in personal conversation, uh, perhaps in Bible study settings, but at any rate, they can be busy. This is something that Titus uh, is told to, to have them be busy about this. And what they're doing is that out of their own experience, they're training. And the word for train is very strong. It's, it's not just offering some words, but it's the idea of mentoring. It's the idea of advising and counseling and, and coming alongside them to, to help them through some of the questions that they might have as a young woman. Here in this context, it's thinking of young women who are married. Uh, that wouldn't mean that they wouldn't, this would not mean that they wouldn't have something to say also to those unmarried young women. Uh, they would. They would have a lot of experience. But here, the specific arena for the young women that are being entrained and instructed by these older women. And the first thing might seem a little strange to us, train the young women to love their husbands and children. 
Now, for you ladies here, it's kind of like, well, well, of course. That, duh, that's a given. I mean, of course I'm going to love my husband, even when he's aggravating, and, and love my children. Of course I'm going to love my children. So what is he getting at when he's saying they have to be trained to do that? It's because even though we know to do it and even might have the emotion to do it, the fact is sometimes it takes practice and it takes uh, work. Any task that we have to do uh, takes is, is can be a challenge. And sometimes these young women, they know they need to love their children, but how do they train their children? How do they work with them? And these older women can be a great asset to them. We, we need to not despise the older people that are part of our life uh, and, and minimize the benefit they can be for us. In this case, older women to younger women. And so they can come alongside these younger women and they can say, well, the younger woman might ask a question, what should I do about this? Uh, well, they might say, well, don't do that because that won't work. Well, how do they know it won't work? Because they've tried it. They know what won't work. They've been through the, the reg- regimen, the rigmarole. They've been through the experiences. No, don't, don't do that. Try this. Uh, and they can encourage them and train them. How the, 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 the woman loves her husband. She loves her children. So the older woman, how, how do you love them? You know, how, how do you care for them in a constructive and positive way, especially when these challenges come, al- come along, as they always do in, um, in, in life? <clears throat> and some of the things that Titus is told to in- have the older women instruct the younger women in are things that wouldn't be appreciated in our own society but that doesn't mean they're not wholesome and beneficial things. So they're to be taught to be self-controlled and pure. See that word self-controlled come back, comes back? It, it, if, if something's repeated like this, then obviously that's something we have a problem with. And it's interesting, it's not one age group that has a problem with that. Every age group has a problem with that. The older, older men are to be self-controlled. The older women are to be self-controlled. These younger women are going to be self-controlled. We're going to see in a minute the young men are going to be, need to be self-controlled. Uh, we need to be controlled by the Spirit of God and govern our lives by His, by His truth. So being self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, and kind, uh, literally, it's home workers, and um, you know that's another term that many in our society would really not like a homemaker. Well, what is that? Boy, that's terrible. Like the woman is changed, chained to the house, and what a demeaning role that is. But it communicates an idea that um, back in First Timothy, and I won't have you go back there. The uh, Paul tells Timothy, instruct the younger women to marry, the younger widows to marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. The idea of being a homemaker, being a builder in the home, a manager of the home, is a very 
important role. It's not in any way demeaning. At least it shouldn't be. It's, it's a woman using her gifts and abilities, which are vast, and every man here would admit that. At least if he has any brains, he would admit that. <clears throat> Without our wives, our homes would be a mess. We, we would live as, most of us would live as slobs. It would be terrible. There'd be no beauty. Uh, there would be no, we'd eat terrible. I mean, and all the men are laughing because they know this is true. Being a manager of the home is not a demeaning thing. The, uh, the woman in the home has a powerful, powerful place. It's hated by our world, but in the, in, in the attitude of Scripture, it's a very, very significant role. <clears throat> I didn't bring it with me because I just thought of it right now, but in the, when the Westminster Confession of Faith was put together, there's a wonderful little document by Thomas Matt Manton. And uh, as, a, as a preface, an introduction to it. And in that introduction, he talks about that the value of mothers caring for their children. And says something along the line of many a wonderful magistrate, many a powerful preacher has been sent into their role by the influence of a godly mother. It's a powerful, powerful, world-transforming role. So it's not demeaning, submissive to their husbands. Again, that's not demeaning. It's just an acknowledgement of the role, uh, role relationships in a marriage uh, to make everything function well. It certainly does not mean, as it could be abused by some, that the woman woman has to <clears throat> experience abuse at the hands of an unstable husband, um, or that she doesn't have a right to have a say so in the running of the household. <clears throat> but yeah, there's a there's an uh, an order of uh, a chain of command that God has established both for the home, for the church, and for society. And here's one of, another one of Paul's statements why this not needs to be taught to older men, older women, younger women. It's so that the word of God may not be reviled. The godly lives of Christians can be a great testimony to the truthfulness of the word of God. And that doesn't mean unbelievers won't try to revile it, but it's so that people will be drawn to the uh, truthfulness of, of God's word. The fourth category of people is young men. Verse 6, likewise urge the younger men to be self-controlled. It's interesting that Paul only gives one characteristic for the young men. Does that mean they don't need more? No, they need a lot more, but there's their problem. They need to get that right. It's almost... Paul could have probably repeated it three times. Young men need to be self-controlled. They need to be under the control of uh, God's word and God's Holy Spirit. And so young men need to be disciplining their desires, their interests, their, their purposes, their goals, 
all to pursue what God would want them to do in their life. The fifth category is Titus himself in verses seven and eight. Here, Paul's giving him instruction. So he's teaching all these other people, but he's got to teach himself. Um, I've often said that the first sermon the pastor preaches is to himself. I got to listen to the sermon first. And it's got to do its work in me, then hopefully maybe it can do work in you. But he, in verse 7, he says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. <coughs> he needs to model the gospel in the way that he lives be a model of good works. He needs to teach with integrity and dignity, similar words. We see these words repeated too. Older men are to be dignified. Older women are to be dignified. The pastor is to be dignified and speak with integrity and sound speech. Uh, His actions, his work, this is instruction for Titus to carry out as his role as pastor of the church in Crete. And he is to act in this way, conduct himself in this way, so that the um, he'll silence the critics. Uh, turn to First Peter chapter two. First Peter two. In this chapter, Peter is dealing with a lot of settings of of uh, suffering that's going on, ultimately culminating in the suffering of Christ. But he gives this instruction for those under authority to conduct themselves in a, in a proper way. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. <clears throat> Just as Titus was to conduct himself well, you and I as individuals are to conduct our lives in such an honorable way that even though people malign us and slander us and criticize us here and now, on the day God visits us, God and we will be vindicated. And it's a calling for you and I to to not bring shame on the gospel of Christ, but to live and conduct ourselves in such a way that our godly conduct will put to shame those who attack and criticize the gospel. And so then coming back to Titus to complete this list, then he comes, the last of all, to slaves in in verses 9 and first part of 10. Bond servants, slaves, are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. And in all this way, they adorn the gospel, the doctrine of God our Savior. By encouraging the, the, the Christian slaves to 
live properly in their slavery. He's not approving of slavery as an institution, even though some have tried to use that as that way in the past. But what he's trying to instruct them is in the difficulties of their situation, they are to still live godly lives for Christ. They are to have their eyes toward the Lord and be serving the Lord and not men. And they're to conduct, be, be submit to their masters, not to be argumentative, not to be stealing, uh, but to show good faith, to be well-pleasing, even in the face sometimes of verbal abuse. They are to conduct themselves in a way that would be glorifying to the Lord and would adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. He's realistic about their condition. In fact, in talking to slaves, it definitely shows us that the church was made up of all kinds. Uh, There were masters in the church. There were slaves in the church. And the ministry was to all of them in all their different arenas. We have all kinds of different places of work and school and the opportunities before us here tonight. God's word speaks to each and every one of us in our respective place. <clears throat> and it's the focus is that you and I would live such godly lives that we would adorn the gospel, make it attractive, make it appealing, um, make the gospel beautiful by the way we live. So may we, building on sound doctrine, live godly lives in all the different areas that we uh, have in our experience. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the practical counsel and advice that you give us through this word. We thank you that you have given us the grace to know you. We We thank you that you've given us your word and your Holy Spirit that can help us to walk in righteousness and godliness before you so that in all things we might um, glorify you, put to shame the, the critic, and make beautiful the doctrine of our Savior. May we do that, Lord, that as uh, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, men would see our good deeds and glorify you, our Father, who is in heaven. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.